We interrupt your broadcast to bring you an episode from the Stephen or Else Network of Truly Epic Podcast. Find more shows at StephenOrElse.com. The Man of Steel meets the Man of Madness as two of comics' most unique and revolutionary heroes cross over. And how? In each of their respective universes, Superman and Madman are involved in scientific experiments, the result of which propel the unsuspecting super beings into one another's world. The only thing is, each takes half of the other with him, creating two confused heroes and one big hullabaloo. It's wackier than red kryptonite and more bizarre than bizarro when two worlds get an even stranger visitor from another planet. Super Madman! And it doesn't stop there because unexplainable things begin happening all around them. So the unexplainable has to be explained and the impossible made possible. That's today on Just Another Fanboy. I'm not sleeping with that producer again. It's... And welcome to an all-new episode of Just Another Fanboy, the podcast that believes in logic, it just lacks the ability to apply it in everyday life. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and good gravy! I hope you aren't getting sick of Madman, because I have even more for you today. But not just Madman. Oh no. No, 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 good people. I have more than that for you today. How does the idea of a comic book that takes two of my all-time favorite comic book characters and smashes them into each other to create two new heroes. Yeah, I'm talking about the Superman, Madman, Hullabaloo, and today we're going to look at issue number one. But before we get into the thick of things, as with the last several Madman episodes, the content of the cold opening was the official description of this issue from over at darkhorse.com. Now, the Superman Madman Hullabaloo was a three-issue series published by both Dark Horse and DC Comics. Issue number one hit the stands in June of 1997. It sported a cover price of $2.95, and it is entitled Man and Super Madman. It was, of course, written by Mike Allred with art by Mike Allred, letters by Sean Cannot, and the colorist was Laura Allred. In this issue, Frank Einstein, the madman of Snap City, is at home with Joe, enjoying a relaxing day off when Dr. Flem calls. Dr. Flem needs Frank's help with an interdimensional experiment. Frank reluctantly agrees to assist the doctor, and soon he and Joe are in a rocket car speeding toward Dr. Flem's underground lab in Buzztown. Meanwhile, in another dimension, Superman finds himself with little to do, and so he agrees to assist Dr. Hamilton by taking a probe arm to gather information on some strange energy pulses emanating in the atmosphere that appear to have no scientific explanation whatsoever. As the Man of Steel floats gently, skirting the fringes of space, Frank takes Dr. Flem's time rocket, which has been reprogrammed to bridge a gap between the alternate dimensions high above the Earth. Suddenly, each of our heroes are pulled into and through each other before they are then pushed into each other's worlds. Frank, 
looking a bit like both himself and Superman, finds himself outside Metropolis, while Superman, looking a bit like both himself and Frank, finds himself outside Buzztown. As Superman finds help from Dr. Flem, Joe, and Mott, Frank is befriended by Lois Lane and soon finds himself leaping into a confrontation between the police and a fleeing gunman, literally placing himself between one of the officers and the bad guy as the crook opens fire. While the bullets don't exactly penetrate Frank's skin, they don't bounce off either. You know, like they would for Superman. And as our issue ends, the gunman places the barrel of his pistol to the back of Frank's head as he kneels, seemingly helpless, in the street. All right, let's get a little bit deeper into this issue, shall we? We will, as always, start with the cover. It is a uh, cover that was put together by Mike Allred, and it features both Superman and Frank there on the cover with the Superman symbol atop the exclamation bolt behind them. And then behind that, making up the, the background of the page is actual panels or pages from this issue in like a uh, yellow and black kind of color. And so the opening page, our first page is a splash page and it features Superman flying through the air. And I have to say, as I was reading this issue, I couldn't help but notice that Allred's art has jumped up at least two levels. He's jumped over the level that would naturally come next. And he's at least a level above that. I mean, the art in this issue is just simply gorgeous. And his Superman, I mean... Make a grown man swoon, why don't you? I love his Superman. He is, uh, or at least on the splash page, he seems to be a bit older. Looks like the uh, the he's wearing the trunks instead of more of the the red underwear things, whatever you want to call it, outside of his pants. And uh, after that first page, we get a few pages that kind of catches everybody up with who Madman is, the world he comes from. It's it seems to be primarily there for those readers who are Superman readers, but maybe uh, may have never read a Madman comic. And I'm sure there were quite a few of them at the time because there are folks that have a great fondness for a particular character and any comic that comes out featuring that character, they go ahead and read it. And that's that's how I was with Madman at the time. And I'm so I'm sure that there were quite a number of Superman fans who read this and we're introduced to Frank Einstein for the first time. And so this gives everybody kind of a jump start into who Frank is, what his world is like, and gets people prepared as we get into the story. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you a bit of this because I think it's also a good, it's kind of a good way for us who may be uh, listening to these episodes or who have been listening to th these episodes just to get kind of caught back up and you know, what better way to do that than in Allred's own words? So I shall read. In a distant reality exists Snap City, a home for the beleaguered and chastened. There are no superheroes here, only a stark existence where a belief in God is the greatest thing ever hoped for. Beatniks gather in the city's underbelly, undisturbed to sing original sing-song poetry created on the spot to be the cat's meow for the evening. And uh, I want to talk about this panel real, real quick because they're the mutant street beatniks that we've met before. And yeah, they're, they're in, the, in an underground area of the city, maybe in, an, in a, at the Stephen can't speak, 
in an abandoned subway station, possibly. And you've got one beatnik. Actually, two beatniks are banging on some bongos. Uh, There's a fire in the middle of the room. One of the beatniks is kind of dancing and snapping. And then the fourth mutant street beatnik is reading his poetry. And I want to read his poetry to you. It's what you dig. Dig? Not how you dig it. Dig? So dig me, baby. Dig it deep. Dig. So, yeah. Mutant street beatniks. (laughs) Love them. Love them so much. And while they don't have anything at all to do in this issue, I'm very glad that he included them for potential new readers. Now, they may show up at some point in the other two issues. I don't remember. But let's let's continue with this reading here. Okay. Here, a hero of drastically smaller proportions, but a hero nonetheless, rests for the evening, unnoticed by the bongo-beating horde. He is known by a handful of the interested as the Madman of Snap City, a cruel nickname given by a lazy reporter who happened to see his reluctant exploits at the circus one slow news day. Cruel in that the man is far from mad. He's a truth seeker, if that can be called sane. Still, that is how he's best known. And I'm going to pause again here real quick because I like how there is already a correlation between Frank Einstein and Superman, Clark Kent, because post-crisis Superman got the name Superman based on a headline in the Daily Planet. He had saved a space shuttle or space plane from crashing into the city, and he was not in costume at the time, but they got some blurry photos of him, and Lois Lane, I believe it was, called him Superman in the headline. Superman saves crippled space plane or something like that. And basically the same thing kind of happens to uh, Frank. He is taking out a bad guy at this circus and the guy is getting away on a helicopter and Frank jumps into a cannon that they use to shoot the human cannonball across the tent. And he has the cannon raised to the sky and he launches himself out of the cannon. And that's the picture that is taken of him, and the headline says Madman of Snap City. So I think that's neat. It's not something that Allred included or made up or put in just in this issue, just so there'd be kind of that correlation. That is from the original three-issue minis, the, the even the headline. So from the very beginning, it's like there was this small connection, and it makes me wonder if, if Allred was a fan of Superman and did that on purpose. However, nobody really calls him Madman, and I will continue with the reading now. To his friends, he is Frank, Frank Einstein, but even that's not his real name. No one knows his real name or little of his former dark existence. Yet. He was John Doe, DOA delivered to scientist Dr. Udo Boyford, a former police forensic specialist, and his colleague, Dr. Gillespie Flim. These distinguished outcasts crack the nut to the secrets of life and death, bringing the corpse to life, and lacking imagination, named their success after their heroes, Frank Sinatra and Albert Einstein. You know, I feel like this is the first time I have seen Dr. Boyford's first name, Udo, U-D-O. I don't recall if that was mentioned in any of the previous issues. Of course, my my brain sucks. My memory sucks. They may have said his name like 17 times throughout these last few issues going back to the original 
three issue mini. I just don't remember. I saw that when I read it, Udo Boyford, and I thought, wow, is that the first time we've seen his name? But who knows? Tell me. If you know, tell me. Back to the reading. Dr. Boyford has gone missing due to a brain expansion experiment gone bad. But Frank stays close to his new adopted family, consisting of Dr. Flem and his assistants, Dr. Gale and Bonnie, Mott, the alien from the planet Hoople, and Frank's robot clone, Astro Man, and Joe, the person most dear to Frank and he to her. There are no superheroes in Snap City. Nothing out of the ordinary at all, really. Only a runaway robot now and again, the occasional experiment gone awry, or the infrequent interstellar visitor. Nothing super at all, except perhaps the inner workings of Frank's mind, which hides memories of the other side, and a moment's brush against the hand of the Almighty. And that's the point where the phone rings. This, uh, that last bit of narration was Frank sitting on the couch at his place, and uh, Joe is laying on the floor in front of the TV, and she's reading a magazine, and he's, uh, he's got the remote control in his hand, and he's looking very... He looks like he might be in deep thought, thinking about the fact that not that long ago, if you're assuming that this happens around what was currently going on in the Madman comics issues at the time, Madman uh, nearly touched the hand of God, uh, but instead God flicked him back into <laughs> reality. It was, it was kind of funny. Anyway, that's when the phone rings and it's Dr. Flem. He wants Frank to come help him with an experiment. And immediately, Joe is not happy about that. She's the one that answers the phone, and Frank tells her that, that he'll just tell Dr. Flem that he's busy. But, of course, Dr. Flem somehow manages to talk him into uh, helping. And we get uh, a phone conversation, and when it comes to Frank's side of the conversation, all we hear, or read anyway, is, is his side, which uh, is following... Dr. Flem, who is asking him, you know, I got this thing I need you to do um, in order to test it. I, I need you to pilot the machine. You're the only one I trust. And Frank says, well, why don't you fly it? But I'm busy. Yeah, I got way too much to do today. What? Well, I have to. Um, I have to. We have to go to. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's where we go away from them. And we get a bit of Superman, who is flying around Metropolis holding this probe arm of Dr. Hamilton. And I don't know how many times I've read this, but it's just this time through that I've realized that Dr. Hamilton only has one arm, which I don't think I noticed that before because it's very, it's not immediately noticeable in the panel unless you're really kind of paying attention. And, and I'm not one who pays a lot of attention, but this is what. Four years after the death of Superman, and I had long stopped reading Superman comics by this point. And so when I last was reading Superman comics, Dr. Hamilton had both of his arms. So, of course, I had to look that up. I thought, A, it's, it's odd. I remember thinking it was odd back then as well that this probe arm that Superman is using to, to go up to the, the fringes of space and probe whatever it is that's happening up there, you know, it's... It's it's an actual arm. It's like a robot arm. And I just I found that kind of weird. And he does make a a comment. Superman does. It's very clever of Hamilton to construct his data collection equipment in the form of an arm. It leaves his other arm free. And I guess I never put two and two together. There's a there's one panel where 
Hamilton is handing the probe arm over to Superman. It's a very small, it's like a, a, a small corner panel in a regular panel. And you can, you can tell that he's only got the one arm, but it's, it's not immediately noticeable. And it certainly wasn't for me. And so I had to look it up because again, the last I knew Dr. Hamilton had both arms, but uh, looked it up and found out that between the death of Superman, which I am currently covering on the just another fanboy presents podcast presents just another fanboy.com between that storyline and this madman crossover with Superman, Dr. Hamilton lost his arm. And that happened in a storyline called the fall of Metropolis, which I've never read. In fact, I haven't read much of post-crisis Superman other than maybe the first half of John Burns run and then the death of Superman and then stuff around and leading up to infinite crisis. But that's something I am currently fixing with a show called Superman or else it's a, oh boy, it's another podcast I'm doing and you can find it over on the Superman super show feed, or you can go to superman.stevenorelse.com. There's one episode up. It went up just this past Friday. And hopefully I can get new episodes up every other week. But yeah, it's amazing. It's the stuff you will pick up on after reading a book four or five times and then putting it away and put, you know, putting it down and not looking at it again for years. And suddenly you're like, hey, wait a minute. This dude's only got one arm. What's going on with that? But we get this page that is, is split down the middle. It's got six panels on it. The three of them on the left side are Superman panels, and the three on the right side are Frank Einstein panels, and the Superman panels are him flying up into space, and he floats there above the Earth, crisscross applesauce, waiting for whatever is going to happen to happen. And then over in the other universe, Frank is getting into the Time Rocket, which was a part of the second three-issue series called Madman Adventures that took Frank back to uh, the days of dinosaurs. But Dr. Flem is telling him that he has reprogrammed the time rocket for this experiment. And then there's this moment where he tells Frank, for safety, the ship will reach an altitude high enough to avoid running into any objects on the other side. The engines will cut as you arch, thereby reducing the rocket's speed, you know, for safety. And Joe is standing off to the side with her hand up on her temple and she's going hooey, which just reminds me that Joe is not a big fan of Dr. Flem. She doesn't trust him. I think, uh, well, I don't know if it's that she doesn't trust him, but she certainly feels that Dr. Flem does not have Frank's best interests in heart, in heart, in mind. I don't, I don't know how you say that. Anyway, she just feels like he uses Frank. And in the end, he could really care less if Frank gets hurt as long as his experiments uh, get done. And I don't know if that's true, if that's really who Dr. Flem is. We haven't gotten that deep into who Dr. Flem is yet at this point. But if Joe doesn't like Dr. Flem, then I don't like Dr. Flem because I trust Joe's judgment. Joe, after all, is in love with Frank and Frank is a good dude. So she is a good judge of character. Anyway, we get to the moment where both Frank and Superman are up in space in the same area or, or not. They're in the atmosphere. They're on the edge of space, basically. And they're both in the, the same area in their respective universes. And something happens. They don't really explain what. It's just some kind of 
interdimensional explosion rift type thing. And it causes the time rocket to dissolve around Frank and disappear. And Superman yells out, great Scott, because that's what he does. And then the two are sucked into each other's universes, but they're, it's, it's done in such a way that they meld together. It's like they, they are pushed into each other and then out through each other in the opposite direction. And then are both spit into each other's respective universes. And it takes a bit from each of them and puts it into the other. So Frank, for example, he lands, uh, he, he falls out of the sky into a field outside Metropolis. And he looks a bit like Frank, but he looks a bit like Superman. He's got his madman mask on, but only the top half. So it covers his eyes. His costume is just a, a really odd mixture of the madman costume and the Superman costume. He's, he's got red pants, boots, a blue shirt with like yellow on the shoulders. And he's got a, a Superman logo on the front, but it's shaped like a lightning bolt. And then he's got red gloves and the top of his mask is open. So his hair blows out just like his madman mask. And then we have Superman who basically they take each other's place. And now Superman is in this time rocket that now is suddenly materializing around him. He's wearing the helmet that Frank was wearing in the time rocket. His costume is white like Frank's. He's got the big, um, well, it's not an exclamation bolt. It's a uh, lightning bolt, a big yellow lightning bolt on his chest that is uh, surrounded by red. And then his, most of his costume is white with these, you know, blue gloves, just like Frank's. And he's got a red cape and he's got red trunks on. And he's got the lower half of Madman's mask. So Madman's mask, his costume covers every inch of his body with the exception of the top of his head. And so he basically has Frank's costume from the nose down with uh, some accents that make it more Superman-like. They also each contain a bit of Superman's powers. They can both leap high into the air, but neither of them can fly. And in fact, when Superman tries to fly, he, he takes his helmet off. He, uh, he also has the Superman boots. I haven't mentioned that. Frank has the boots that he normally wears, uh, but Superman has the, the Superman boots. So Basically, Superman has the Superman boots, the trunks, and the cape, and then Madman's costume from the nose down. Uh, he takes his helmet off, and he is very much Frank underneath. He's got the blue-gray skin. He's got the, the metal plate in his head that you can see the, 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 the stitching around his head and whatnot, because again, he was a, Frank was a dead guy who was brought back to life. And it's, it's kind of weird, because he doesn't, it's not like he looks like Superman with or i guess an undead superman he he's like a, a mixture his his face is kind of kind of clark kind of frank and it's the same thing with frank it's 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 a, it's a little of both and yet they're both very different from each other it's a very well done very well done from allred but anyway uh superman manages to land the time rocket he gets out he says as the time rocket kind of crash lands to earth as he's as he's crawling out of it he says Deja vu. This all seems familiar somehow, which is a, of course, a callback to him crash landing to Earth when he was a a baby in the in the gestation matrix. Um, 
But he climbs out of the rocket. He takes the helmet off, realizes that he's bleeding, which is not something Superman normally does. And he leaps up into the sky to try and fly back to that point up in the sky where everything bad happened. But then he gets, I don't know, a few dozen feet in the air and realizes, oh, he can't fly. And then he slams back down to the ground and says, ow. So it's more than just the ability to fly that he's lost in this new amalgamated body. Uh, He's also no longer invulnerable. Frank, on the other hand, he is outside Metropolis. He looks much better than Superman because uh, he doesn't have the blue-gray skin anymore. And he notices Metropolis in the distance, and he has the probe arm. And so he kind of picks himself up, dusts himself off, and sets to running toward the city and realizes that he can run pretty darn fast. Not Superman fast, but he says, wow, I can run like a cheetah. And then there's a big ditch in front of him, and he leaps over the ditch and jumps quite far, much farther than he had figured he would. And so he comes down very hard and makes his own ditch in the ground as he skids to a halt. Uh, But it's at that point that he's like, I think I'll just walk at a brisk pace toward Metropolis. Back to Superman. He's now nursing an injured ankle from trying to fly and and, uh, falling back to the ground. And he uses his telescopic vision to uh, try to uh, learn where he is, you know, look over his surroundings. And it's not quite clear how well his telescopic vision works. We see like these eye beams coming out of his eyes that's supposed to represent his telescopic vision. But he says, let's test the old telescopic vision and study my new surroundings. Not too good. And I don't know what that means. I don't know if he means my surroundings are not good because I don't recognize anything or my telescopic vision doesn't quite work as well as it used to. And so I can't really see much of my surroundings beyond what a normal human would be able to see. But he does see some dust on the horizon uh, where a, a, a dirt road meets the horizon. And so he knows that somebody is coming toward him. So he just stands and waits. Meanwhile, in Metropolis or outside Metropolis, Frank arrives at a gas station on the outskirts of Metropolis. And the dude uh, running the gas station, whose name tag says Bean, assumes at first that Frank is Superman, but with the costume change. And he actually says to him, you aren't experimenting with a new look again, are you? Which I have to assume has something to do with, I don't know if the red and blue electric Superman thing was out at this point. May have been. I don't know because, again, I haven't read a lot of post-crisis Superman. Fixing that now. Superman.stevenorelse.com. Superman or else. Get it now on the uh, Superman Super Show feed. Or if he's just talking about how when Superman came back from being dead, he was wearing an all-black Superman costume for a, a tiny little bit, and he, and he had a mullet for a while. But Bean quickly figures out that whoever this guy is, he's not Superman. Frank asks where he is, and the guy's like, well, you're on Baker Line Boulevard. And Frank's like, yeah, I can see that, because right there is a road sign that shows that they're at the corner of Baker Line and 4th. And so he's like, yeah, I can see that. What city? What country? And the guy's like, boy, you are lost. You're in Metropolis, USA, Earth. What a nimrod. And so Frank then asks if he can use the restroom so he can go freshen up. And the guy tells him that normally the bathroom is for paying customers, but 
he looks like he could use it. So he gives Frank the key and Frank heads off to the bathroom. In the meantime, Superman waiting there out in the field outside Snap City. A car pulls up with Joe driving. Dr. Flem and Mott are in the car with them. Joe leaps out of the car as soon as it comes to a stop. She's like, Frank, is that you? And Dr. Flem, stop, Joe. We need to evaluate the situation. And Joe ignores him, runs up to Superman, who she thinks is Frank, uh, who has a spit curl, just like Superman does. And she moves the spit curl out of the way to uh, get a look at his face, which Superman doesn't take kindly to. He grabs her arm and... As she's asking, Frank, is that you? And he goes, I'm afraid not, miss. Now I want some answers. You can begin by telling me who this Frank you keep referring to is. During this scene, we are also seeing Frank in Metropolis. He's in the bathroom and he takes his mask off and he's looking at himself in the mirror and he runs some water in the sink and splashes it on his face. And that consists of it's it's basically you've got these two pages here that are mostly taken up by what's going on between Joe and Superman, Dr. Flam and Mott. But then there's just a couple of panels, uh, three on each page of Frank in the bathroom, splashing water on his face. And then he looks back up at the mirror and he goes, oh my gosh, I'm handsome. And again, he looks like Frank, but he also looks like Superman. His hair, both, both uh, the new Superman, his hair, and the new Frank, his hair are both very similar. Neither really looks like uh, what Frank's hair normally looks like. It's it's not like a gray, uh, a dark bluish black gray like Frank's is, but it's more of a a black with blue highlights, like how you would color black hair in a comic book. But Doctor Flem runs up to Superman, and he's you know in scientist mode. It's incredible. It can't be. What are the odds? I think a creature from another dimension has possessed Frank. And Superman picks him up, so he's still got some of his super strength. Sir, I'd appreciate you telling me what you know immediately. And uh, Mott comes up and says, hey, Frank, what are you doing? And Superman places Dr. Flem back on the ground and holds his hand out, you know, in like a stopping gesture to Mott. And he says, don't be alarmed, whoever or whatever you are. I don't intend to harm anyone. I'm in a desperate situation, and in order to rectify that situation, I need your complete cooperation. We can start with a complete debriefing. Tell me what you know. Who were you looking for? What events occurred before you came here? Don't leave anything out. And from there, we go back to Frank. He's now in Metropolis. He uh, stops at a, a guy on the street selling sunglasses, and he picks a pair up and puts them on. They're round sunglasses. They, they look very much like the, the sunglasses that Superboy wore uh, after he was first introduced coming out of uh, the, the, the whole death of Superman thing. So he puts the sunglasses on and there's a, a mirror there and he looks at himself in the mirror and he goes, you are stunning, my friend. But Frank also apparently has a bit of Superman strength because he's, he's holding on to the glasses. He's holding on to the frames and apparently he's squeezing just a little bit too hard. And both of the lenses pop out, which leave him basically wearing round frames with no lenses in them. And he looks very much like Clark Kent. The guy who was selling the sunglasses is pretty upset that he broke them and, and demands five bucks out of them because that's how much the sunglasses cost. Frank doesn't have any money. He says, look, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to break them. I don't know my strength so well. You know, I bet you could put the lenses back in. And the guy says, put up, doofus, five bucks. Let's have it or I'll call a cop. And Frank tries to just walk away. 
Uh, but suddenly Lois is there. She had been driving by in a cab and she sees him standing there at this uh, table with the sunglasses and wearing the frames with no lenses in them and immediately thinks it's Clark. So she has the cab stop and she gets out and she stops Frank and says, Superman. And the, the, the guy selling the sunglasses says, Superman, that's not Superman, is it? What would he be doing here? Hassling the working man, huh? And Frank goes, uh, look, I, uh, and Lois just holds a finger up in front of his face and says, shoosh. And then she pays the guy his $5 for his sunglasses and then suggests to Frank that they get out of there. Uh, we then go back to Superman with Dr. Flem and Joe and Mott. And they are, they go to Buzztown. They are in, uh, they're, 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 they're going into Dr. Flem's house. And Dr. Flem goes to a bookcase and moves a book and a, a hidden elevator appears. And Superman thinks that's kind of, kind of neat, a secret elevator. And so they go down in the elevator and it opens up into, uh, Dr. Flem's underground laboratory, which looks like a cave. And Superman says, I have a good friend who spends a lot of time in a cave. And, uh, there he meets Astro Man and Bonnie and, uh, Machina and Dr. Gale is there. Frank in the meantime picks Lois up and they go, he, he goes to fly away with her because she's asking him about why, you know, why he looks that way. Why does he call himself Frank? He wants to know if this is some kind of joke and so she basically tries to tries to test him. She says, let's see if you can fly us out of here, Super Frank. Take us somewhere private so we can talk. He says, fly? Well, I might be able to leap to the top of that tall building over there. But she says, oh, please, I've met countless imposters, and they've all been able to at least fake a good show. Just get us out of here. And he says, all right, I'll try. And he picks her up, and he leaps up into the air, and he gets about halfway up the building and then starts to fall. and he manages to reach out and grasp a hold of a ledge and then Lois grabs onto him so she doesn't fall and and uh yeah they sit there on on a ledge talking a few hundred feet in the air we then get one last scene in Buzztown they're messing around with Dr. Flem's computer both Superman and Dr. Flem and Superman saying our path is clear we need to duplicate the experiment in order to put things back to how they were Superman is, is looking at these plans that Dr. Flem has put together. And he says, looking at your plans, it seems feasible for us to build a dimensional doorway that will bridge our worlds for a longer, safer time period. Joe immediately pipes in, safe? You're working with Dr. Flem now, Superman. We don't concern ourselves with safety here. And Bonnie, who is, I don't know if she's in love with Dr. Flem. They seem to be very close, but she jumps to Flem's defense. Now, you don't have to get nasty, Joe. Gillespie didn't mean for this all to happen. And before we go back to Frank, Mott asks Superman, because Superman had apparently explained to all of them that he is a, a super powerful being, but his powers seem to have been reduced during this experiment gone awry. So Mott asks him that if he thinks it's possible that some of his powers were put into Frank. And Superman says that, uh, sounds possible uh, but if it is then based on how his powers seem to work here in buzztown that frank must have gotten quote the lion's share of his powers but we learn that that may not be the case because we go back to metropolis frank and joe are, are, are sitting up on a ledge frank is telling joe everything oh hey sorry for interrupting and um i also apologize for doing this 
from the bathroom, but I often sit in the bathroom uh, doing my thing and listening back to episodes for uh, mistakes and whatnot to see what I may need to fix. So yeah, this is apparently the point in the recording where I started to get sleepy because I started referring to Lois Lane as Joe, probably because I'm used to Frank hanging out with Joe and not hanging out with Lois Lane, but I didn't want to uh, just leave that glaring error hanging there in the air without interrupting the flow of the episode and pointing out my mistake. Because honestly, it makes me feel good to know that you now know that I know it was a mistake. I'll let you get back to it. Frank is telling Joe everything that happened and who he is and and all that junk. And then they witness uh, uh, what appears to be the aftermath of a robbery. There's a guy fleeing from police. He's he's carrying a black bag and he's got a gun and he's wearing a uh, a black suit with a white shirt. Very much. I mean, he looks he's basically Steve Buscemi from Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir. Reservoir Dogs. Mr. Pink, I think, is who he was called in that movie. But as he's running away from the cops, he runs out into the street and a car smashes into him and he is not hurt. He's a little dazed. The car is all smashed up like it like it ran into a freaking tank or something. And as the guy is picking himself up with little stars rolling around the top of his head, the cops start shooting at him. He gets shot in the shoulder or at least it. One of the bullets hits his shoulder and he says, hey, that stung. So he starts firing back, and that's when Frank is suddenly there. It's a great panel of Frank leaping between the gunman and, and one of these cops. And he gets about four bullets in him. And Mr. Pink says, Superman, that's just great. And uh, Frank is kind of laying there on the, on the ground. And while the bullets hit him, they didn't pierce his skin, but they're actually dug into his skin, and he has to pull them out. Uh, but again, they didn't break his skin and, but, but, but it hurts. He, he's in pain. And when he's done pulling the bullets out of his chest, Mr. Pink comes up from behind him, puts the barrel of his gun to the back of Frank's head and says, I know Superman and you're no Superman. And Lois is running up. No, don't do it. And there's one of these things that, that is in the background of one of these panels that if you're not paying attention, which typically I don't pay a lot of attention but it looks like a building behind them suddenly grew a pair of weird octopus-like legs and is pulling itself out of the ground. Just a quick thing, no explanation for it whatsoever because we are done with the issue. And it says, next, hot dang yin-yang. And, and <laughs> that's the end of this issue. Um, I had a lot of fun with this. Again, anytime you can take two of my all-time favorite comic book characters and put them in the same book, that always makes me happy. They haven't met yet. That's that, you know, the only thing that would make me even more happy is for the two of them to meet and talk to each other and team up and do superhero things. And I know that's coming, but that's not where we're at now. Um, thankfully, uh, Allred didn't do the, uh, you know, the trope where the two heroes meet. They each think that the other is a bad guy and they fight for a while because everybody wants to see heroes fight. You know, you stick a Captain America in a. Batman book. You want to see Captain America and Batman fight. You want to see which one is going to be the the best guy. But then eventually they 
realize that, oh, we're both good guys. And then they team up and they go after the bad guy. They're, they're not doing that in this one, which is very, very refreshing. In, instead, they're each stuck in the other's world. And uh, Superman is dealing with a giant drain to his powers while Frank is dealing with having superpowers at this point and not understanding how they work or, or what to do with them. And again, it's just really amazing how each of them, I mean, Superman in Frank's body, he does look more like Frank in the face than he does Superman. And Frank in Superman's body looks more like Superman than he does Frank. But there's there's just similarities there that the, the Super Frank still kind of looks like Frank and Super Madman still looks a bit like Superman. It's it's a it's a really neat thing that Allred pulled off here. But so yeah, where are we gonna go from here? Is Frank gonna die? Probably not. Probably not. I don't think that's gonna happen. But how's he gonna get free from the from the gunman? How are the two of them going to get back into their own worlds? And what's up with uh, what appears to be a building that grew feet and is walking away from uh, the panel? That that's that's kind of weird. And again, the art, I said at the beginning of the episode, Allred has gone up a number of levels. I mean, his art was great before. The books were beautiful, and now they're just more beautiful. They're just, they're just gorgeous. I love his art. Big fan, big fan of his art. I'm not really sure what else to say. Uh, there's not any kind of, um, I don't know if there's any kind of moral to this story, or, or if there is, we're probably not going to know what it is until the, the end of the third issue. I don't know if if there's a, a lesson that Allred's trying to impart to us, the reader, I don't, I don't know if, if that, if, if that's something that's happening here. Uh, I think frankly, just based on this first issue that Mike Allred is a Superman fan and he has gotten this opportunity to, to do a Superman comic that also involves his own character. And I think he's just having a lot of fun with it. And I think it's pretty cool that not only that DC did this and there were a number of DC Dark Horse crossovers at the time. Dark Horse had both the Aliens and Predator franchises and so there were a number of like uh Superman Alien and Batman Predator books and uh I don't know what else beyond those they may have done crossovers for but um I think it's cool that that DC was willing to do this back then and it's even more cool that Allred was able to include these three issues in his Madman Library editions. I don't know if he had to pay any kind of licensing fee to include Superman in this vault, the volume two of his library editions. That'd be kind of interesting to know. I would have to assume that that's the case, but at the same time, you know, being a, a hopeless optimist, or at least I used to be, there's still a bit of the the idiot optimist in me that that likes to think that. DC just said, yeah, go ahead. You don't need to pay us anything. We make a lot of money as it is. Don't worry about it. But I, I doubt that's the case. <laughs> I doubt that happened. I'm sure he, he either has to pay a certain percentage of the, the royalties off of that particular volume, or he had to pay a flat fee to, to include them. I, I don't know. But that's the first issue. Great first issue. Looking forward to the next two. I don't have any plans to do any other kind of episodes between... Uh, now and these other two issues so so hopefully you know you never know what's going to happen but, but yeah i guess we'll find out because the plan at this point is next week superman madman hullabaloo number two hot bang 
yin yang. Until then, folks, my name is Steven, and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. The Just Another Fanboy podcast is a Stephen or else production. Questions and comments can be directed to justanotherfanboy at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram by searching for at Stephen or else, and then come join in on all the fun at the Just Another Fanboy message boards at forum.justanotherfanboy.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash or and in return, I am going to do my very very best to get you and your fellow patrons episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share this episode with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. Bye-bye, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. Good job. Uh-oh. Okay. Let's do this flipping thing. The man of steel meets the mad of fart knocker. I barely started shouting out the fart knocker already.